Good morning and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. My name is Isaiah Hawks. I'm the children and preschool pastor here and um, I'm sitting here just by a fire and I've got a question for you. In a second I'm going to ask you to look at your bulletin and see the things that are coming up. But Before we do, here's my question. When you hear the term hell, what do you think about? Do you think about maybe fire like the one I'm sitting next to? Do you think about punishment or separation from God? Our minds go to a, a many different places when we think about the term hell. We just know we don't want to go there. Now, when I say the term grace, what do you think about? Well, in a second, we're actually going to spend some time looking at grace, and, and Pastor Bob is going to lead us through Scripture as we think about grace. And in order to kind of get our minds to that point, um, I want to share something with you. A man by the name of Jonathan Edwards wrote a book at one point, and the book is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and from it he quotes this. Almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, and what he is now doing, and what he intends to do. See, that's, that's a very natural tendency. To depend on our, our own self to get away from hell and the punishment thereof. That's not what we find in scripture. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your works or yourself that any man should boast. It is a free gift of God. And so today, <clears throat> as we spend some time talking about grace, may our hearts be ready and may we be appreciative of that grace. Again, like I said, check your bulletins. Look to see what's coming up next. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word looking at the term grace and, and what it means to us and, and how you've given it to us. Lord, just calm our hearts and help our attention to be on you and on this gift that you've given us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Crucified, 
I was able to go with our children and our middle school students to summer camp at the wilds and while we were there we were introduced to this beautiful hymn called Christ is sufficient and I really loved and identified with this song because it was an amazing reminder that Jesus is all we need for salvation and for acceptance um, from God and for me personally that was something I struggled with for a long time thinking that I had to do all the right things and make all the right choices and can never make a mistake or else God will reject me. But the truth is, once we become followers of Jesus Christ and commit our lives to him, there's nothing more that we can do that can earn God's love for us, and really nothing that we can do that will separate us from God's love. So this hymn, I hope that you'll be able to relate to and identify with and just celebrate Christ's sufficiency to be everything you need for salvation, both now while we're here on earth, all the way through eternity. Take it away I have one hope 
Good morning, church. Thanks for joining us this morning um, at Ebenezer Baptist Church Online. Um, I'm thankful for Pastor Wayne preparing for our worship time this morning and Pastor Isaiah as he led our welcome today. We're going to continue and actually we're going to finish up this series called The Upside. We've been in the book of 1 John and you know that John wrote this small epistle as a letter to a group of people that were fighting off some errant doctrine. And he writes to a group of people that he loves dearly. And so he writes this letter to them, reminding them that God is light, that he is the source of all truth, that he came in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ, came in the flesh, and through him provides salvation for us. And then he reminds us that we are to be action-oriented in following the commands of God, and that God is seen through the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to wrestle with the idea or wrestle with the topic of grace. 
you may say, how do we get grace out of 1 John? Because the book of 1 John actually does not use the word grace anywhere, but the idea, the concept, is woven into the pattern of 1 John. It's, a, um, it's explicitly described, but not stated in word. In fact, John doesn't use the word grace very often. He uses it once in the, in the smaller letter of 2 John, and then he uses it three times at the beginning of his gospel. And so John um, shares this idea, and by definition, John's description of what God has done for us fits into this idea or this concept of grace. Because grace, by definition, is goodwill, honor, or credit bestowed upon someone. And if we take that and we move it into biblical terms, we say, what is grace in terms of what Scripture says? It is a an application of something that is undeserved. And so we receive grace, and, and we see that in the area of salvation. We see it in the area of regeneration, our lives being made new. And then we see it in the area of sanctification, that maturing process that we go through that Paul describes when he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So John writes this, and, and really the ultimate goal of grace is relationship. The ultimate goal of grace is relationship. It's undeserved, it's unmerited, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it just because we exist. God has given it to us. Look what it says in 1 John 3, 1. It says, see how great a love the Father has given us or bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. And then John kind of drives the point home and he says, and such we are. That's who we are. We are children of God. If we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior, trusted in Him for our salvation, received that forgiveness, and we've turned over our life to Him, then we are called children of God and we live by the grace of God. Charles Swindoll wrote this about grace. He said, I know of nothing that has the power to change us from within like the freedom that comes through grace and then he goes on he says it's so amazing it will change not only our hearts but it will change our faces and then he begins to look at the congregation and he says guys your face needs to be changed by the grace of God and so if we understand the grace of God and what God has done for us essentially it is a big upside We've talked about truth, we've talked about love, but here when we're talking about grace, it is an upside to being part of the family of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is going to give us our start as we look at this idea of grace from 1 John. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John gives us this description. And then he tells us about the world in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Then if we jump down to verse 24, it says this, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Hang on to that word abide. Abide in you, 
And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. This is the promise that God made to us, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to look again at 1 John and conclude this series talking about the idea of grace, Father, I pray that You will pour on us Your grace to not just comprehend intellectually what we're going to talk about this morning, but to take it in spiritually. That it may challenge and, and prove to us about our relationship with You and where our relationship needs to change, needs to grow. And so, Father, do what You need to do as we study Your Word this morning for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so when we look at 1 John and this idea of grace and we says do not love the world or the things in the world it's our start the first point in your outline this morning is we can accept the invitation of grace look what it says do not do not love the world or the things in the world there are two platforms for um, receiving satisfaction or fulfillment where do you look for satisfaction and fulfillment in your life and I guess that would be a question that if we were to look in the mirror, we could ask ourselves that question. You see, the, the world, as John describes here, he says, the world offers transient satisfaction. The, the idea that it is fleeting, it is moving on, it is not going to be in a permanent state. And this is how he describes it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, and here's the list, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what are those things? Well, those desires of the flesh would, would be just what feels good. It's the, the actual Greek means it, it's the desire for what is forbidden. So if you look at the truth of God, and you lay the truth of God out there, and you say, these things are for, forbidden by the Word of God, or by God's character, then these would be things that we desire in the flesh that go against what God's truth is. So desire for what is forbidden. Desires of the eyes would be jealousy or envy. Have you ever looked at, guys, have you ever looked at somebody's boat and said, man, I, I would really love to have that boat. Or, or a particular yard or something like that. And ladies, there's probably clothing maybe that you wanted or, or jewelry, you know, somebody flashes that diamond ring and and it's just got this hunking big stone on it and you say man I wish I could have one of those and and there's a degree of envy or jealousy that that rises up and it's the faculty of knowing just being able to see and know and then say I want that the last thing is pride of life and and that has to do with possessions it's the solicitation of envy it's the I need to have this so that others can look at me and desire what I have. And so you're wanting people to envy you and what you own. And so the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, and those are all cravings that quickly devolve into greater desires. Now you remember the, the commercial, and it's been a, a lot of years ago, but the, the Lay's potato chip commercial where it says you can't just eat one. It's that I, I taste one, I want more. And that's the way sin works. When we chomp down on sin, 
we actually want more of it because sin has this is this false pretense that is that offers something good it's the the idea that whatever sin offers or whatever the world offers is going to be fun and it won't have the consequence that will affect our relationship with God or with others and so the world offers transient satisfaction but our god on the on the contrast here our god offers enduring satisfaction Look what it says in verse 17. It says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. So those things, those desires of the, of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life, the world is passing away along with those desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So to abide in, it's, it's what we read about as we got to, toward um, verses 24 and 25, to abide in or to remain or dwell or to accept. It's, the, it's what John also writes about when he's quoting Jesus in John 17. And then it says, forever will abide forever. And that's the idea of an unbroken age. You know, if we've accepted Christ as, as our Savior, then we look forward to eternal life. We gain eternal life here, but we look forward to the hope that is out before us. You know, when somebody gets ready to die, we talk about the hope that is still ahead. It's just a transfer from this life to another life, and it's life in the presence of God the Father. And so it's the, uh, this unbroken age. If you abide in the Father, then, then that just continues from now through all of eternity. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so peace would be an outcome of abiding in God. And how, how do we have this ongoing peace? Well, when we move away from that, we risk and compromise the transmission of grace toward us. It's not the loss of salvation, but it's this separation of fellowship that, that creates this gap where we don't experience and we don't enjoy the grace of God poured on us. And so... It's not that God withholds His love, it's that we withhold our affection toward Him. And it becomes an impediment to the freedom that we can enjoy within the grace of God. Then, then verse 2, Romans 5.2 says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so uh, our first point, we can accept the invitation of grace. God offers that to us, and there is a choice in that. The second point is that we can approach the throne of grace. Look what it says in 1 John 2.28. It says this. Uh, let, me, let me get to it. And now, little children, there's that pastoral term again. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. So it's, it's the idea when we are face-to-face -face with God, we're not going to shrink back and not have any part of God, but we approach the throne with confidence. 1 John 4, 16-18 says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence, there's that word, confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We've, we've read that a million times, where perfect love casts out fear. Well, what does that mean? It's the love of God applied to our life, and it gives us evidence of his character in us, and it gives us the assurance that we actually belong to him. There are characteristics about my parents that I've received because of the time spent that it's easy to see the influence. And so if we have confidence because the love of God has been poured on us, we have a change of character and we look different, we act different, and that brings us assurance. Then it says, there's no, it says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And that's talking about the law. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so we could go back and look at what Paul writes in Galatians about the law and this justification by law or by faith. And he says, well, why do you go back to the law? Because the law brings condemnation, but faith in Christ brings freedom. Paul also wrote in, in Romans 5.20, it says, the, the law came in so that the, so that the transgression would increase. That sounds strange, but where sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is Paul saying here that supports what John says in 1 John? Well, Paul's saying the law came in, and when you get exposed to the law, you understand your, your failure or your inability to measure up to the standard of that law. We could think about it in, in terms of COVID-19 testing. And this is, I'm going to try and make this simple without getting into a lot of statistics. But if you increase the exposure or if you increase the testing, you will find more people that have it. And so if I test 10 people, the potential is 10 people. But if I test 20 people, the, the potential is 20 people. If the law exposes this in this group of people, the law and, and that exposure to the law increases, so will my awareness or the number of people that understand how much sin there is and so when we talk about this this idea of law came so the transgression would increase it's not the desire that transgressions or sin go on the rise it's the the idea that as you are exposed as you become aware of what the law says then you will find that the grace that god pours on you you will understand that better and so grace is there to meet that need Hebrews 4.16 has to do with this throne of grace. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's Hebrews 4.16. So what is this word confidence that we see in these passages? What does that mean? It, it essentially means the freedom to speak. It, it means that I can go in and I can say it 
say what I'm going to say fearlessly. And, and you've been in, you may have been in situations where you walk in and you just don't know what you're going to say because you, you don't either have an argument or, or it's a strained relationship. And what, what John is writing about here, what the writer of Hebrews is, is saying in this, in this place is when we have confidence through Jesus Christ, we can approach the throne the throne of God with confidence because our standing is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. If our hope before the throne of God rests in our own ability to stand against His truth or in measurement to His truth and His holiness, we will be more than disappointed. However, if we approach God's throne, if we have the hope in God's, that God's throne and we rest in the dependence through the holiness of of Christ, not our own, but of, of Him, we have an advocate for confidence and that grace applies to us. Now think back to um, Esther. You know, Esther was uh, a queen, but she didn't start out as a queen. She was a, a Jewish person brought into a secular, um, secular point of royalty. And so Esther is um, going to approach the throne, but it makes her very nervous. Because unless you are summoned by the king, you don't come in to the throne room and say, this is what I want. Um, that would be cause for punishment, and punishment at that time was punishment by death. And so what Esther says uh, about the danger of approaching the throne with the right credentials and not being summoned by the king, she says, if I perish, this is Esther um, 4.16, if I perish, I perish. That's just it. And she understood the significance of coming before a throne and, and not being summoned by the king. And so there was this risk. But when we are in Christ and approaching the throne of God, there is no risk because our righteousness is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, our third point this morning is we can avoid the dismissal of grace. We can avoid the dismissal of grace. Um, 1 John 4.1, we're going to jump around a little bit here. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, that's that, I, I love you, hear this. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's making this distinction, and he's saying, Believers, you guys, listen. Test the spirits to see if they're of God. See, see if it matches up with the truth of God. 1 John 4, 4 says this, um, little children, again, that pastoral term, you are from God and have overcome them, for he, and it's talking about those false teachers, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's the idea that God has placed in you the Holy Spirit to help you discern what is correct and what is errant? And he's telling the believers here in this small letter that you have the ability to do that, but you've got you've to fall under the grace of God and trust the truth of Christ and rely on that. Don't take the false teacher's word for it, but test it. See, you are already a product of victory by the Holy Spirit. So if we were... We, um, over the last couple of weeks, we had an issue with an electrical issue here at the building. And um, the, the problem was outside the building. 
um, it was taken care of. But um, when I arrived, because I had some things to do that morning, when I arrived, there were four fire trucks in our parking lot. A power company truck was on its way. Another electrician was on its way. And um, as everything was discovered, we discovered that there was a, an errant connection outside. And so before the electrician would take care of that, the, the power company needed to go to the pole to shut off all the power so that he could safely work on it. And so that's exactly what happened. It, it was a pretty safe transition. They cut off the power. He changed out the, the, the piece, the connection part. And then when all that was done, the guy from the power company went back to the pole, turned on the power, and then the, the electrician went over to the box and tested to make sure there was power to the building. And what they were doing is they were testing to see if it was right. They were testing the connection. And that's what we do when we're in this. We test our input. So, the, so as to avoid the dismissal of grace, we test our input. It's the idea of, not, of dismissing or diminishing the influence that is wrong. And so we, we may hear false teaching, and we may hear those things when we go out into the world, but, but God encourages us to come back under the grace of God by the power of the Spirit to discern. And then those false things that would lead us, those things that would lead us to the world and desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, to have those voices diminish or, or become quieter in our own spirit. To test our input, the second thing is to guard from idols. John wraps up this, this short letter, and, and there's, there's a lot more in this letter that we're not going to get to in this series, but he wraps up the whole letter, and it, it's really kind of almost a strange ending. But he says this in verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Back to that pastoral part. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't be swept into worshiping something other than God. To concentrate on worshiping God, having Him as the one not just of truth, but the one that provides your salvation. It's grace for every situation and confidence for living. And so, as a pastor telling a congregation of the things that John is sharing with this congregation, it's test the Spirit. See what you're hearing and make sure it's right. Believe that God sent Jesus and you can trust Him. That's where truth lies. And so when, when John writes this, little children, keep yourselves from idols, he's wanting them to be laser-focused on worshiping the one who is worthy of worship. And so what's the upside? We wrap this up. What is the upside of the whole book of 1 John? The whole, this whole letter? Well, it, essentially it's, it's three things. It's a little bit more than that. But we are loved by the God of all creation. Second thing is we can have relationship with the God of all creation through the person of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, dwelt among us, that we heard, saw, and beheld Him. Thirdly, we can be assured of our connection with Him. God doesn't want you to guess about your relationship with Him. He wants you to be sure of that, but there are tests to be sure. It's that following His commands, obeying Him, knowing that He came in the flesh. It's, a, it's, it's a, these three things. A right belief about Jesus, 
a right living by obeying His commands, and right action by loving others. That's the, those are the tests that assure us of our connection with Christ. So we are loved by the God of all creation. We can have a relationship with this person, uh, with God through the person of Christ, and we can be assured of our connection. And so here are the challenge questions for this morning. Is there clarity about your love life? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily your marriage or to your kids or, um, or, or your, um, maybe some other identification, if you want to throw that in the mix. But clarity about your love life related to God. Do you love Him? And have you... And are you receiving His love? And if you you say, man, my love life with God is, is we're not, then I would say this morning, we can get that. We can get that taken care of. It's a matter of going to God because God has not moved. God will, will receive you and wrap His arms around you and love you with a love that you, can, that you might not even be able to imagine. So find some clarity about your love life and you don't have a relationship with Him. Trust Him um, for salvation this morning. Secondly, are you finding comfort in the approachable nature of God or are you secretly uneasy? If you were to go before the throne of God, and we talked about this a little bit ago, if you were to go before the throne of God, can you approach with confidence? Or are you going to shy away? And back up away from God. Is it that uneasy feeling like something's wrong in that relationship? Well, this morning may be a time to, to work on that and get that right, to take a few moments and just stop and say, God, I need to confess that my pursuit of worldly things and my listening to, to worldly voices has affected my relationship with you, and I need to repent of that this morning. And lastly, are you finding grace for living the life that God purposed for you? As you're living life, are you relying on Him? I mean, maybe it's you go to the job and you say, man, this job is extremely difficult and I'm struggling. The stress of it is crazy. But God, I'm praying that today you will give me the grace to navigate each piece of my day that I may represent you well and feel comfort in my relationship with you. To know that you love me and are pouring your grace on me to be able to handle this even when it's difficult. Are you finding grace? <coughs> Excuse me. Grace for living the life God purposed for you. See, grace in the book of 1 John, not explicitly mentioned, but woven throughout the whole book is the idea of grace and what God gives. See, grace that overcomes is ultimately tied to your relationship with God. It's uh, our God wants us, the, the God of all creation wants us to experience His incredible grace. So how do you do that? Let me give you just three very quick things that can start you on that kind of a springboard for moving forward in the grace of God and, and really soaking in the love of God. The first thing is to set a time to meet with God. Just go ahead, put it on your calendar or, or set an alarm for a particular time of day. Set a time to meet with God and then, and then read through the Psalms. Um, there, is a, there are a lot of things in the Psalms that, that 
bring high praise to God, but at the same time, there are a lot of psalms that talk about um, not just the provision of God, but the complaint to God. It's a, it's a very practical understanding of life as we, as we look at the book of Psalms. What we see in all of those chapters, what we see is we see people that are wrestling with real life issues coming before God and saying, God, why? So spend some time in the Psalms and then go over to John's Gospel and read John's Gospel because in John's Gospel, it is a way to get to know the person of Jesus Christ, God, come in the flesh. So those are three ways that you can, that you can enhance this real ongoing relationship with God and understand what it is to have this grace that overcomes. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We're going to pray, and, um, and then I'll share with you just a couple of things about what we're doing over the next couple weeks as far as meeting together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace that enables us to overcome the world that presses on us. And so whether that pressing is, comes from a virus, pandemic, or that pressing comes from um, tensions within our culture regarding race and, and law enforcement and all those kind of things, or that voice even comes through our political system and all the, the different pieces of that. Father, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of things for us to listen to. And Father, I pray that you will help us to hear mostly your voice. That we'd be able to discern the voice of the shepherd to the sheep, us. And that we may respond in a way that not just brings you glory, but it helps us to understand how much you protect and love and provide for us. And so, God, we pray that you will help us to understand that further this week as we seek you out. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us this morning. Let me give you one more word about what we're doing. Um, you know, we're not obviously we're not meeting in person today. And we will likely not meet on the 26th. Um, we'll be doing vacation Bible school in a, in a different fashion. You can check with Pastor Isaiah and on our website for some details of that because it's going to be an evening kind of thing, but online. And so um, those are the things that are happening. Hopefully we will be back in the building the 1st of August. Um, but because we've had some folks that have tested positive with COVID-19, we're being very cautious about coming back to the campus. And so I know that you'll be praying for us. I know that you'll be praying for us for wisdom and discernment in all of it. I want to continue to encourage you to be the church wherever you are. I want to continue, if you would, continue to support the church um, in your giving and in your prayer. And, and then when we get back together, to come back in a way that, that would just show the world that we love God and, and really kind of soak in what God's love is for us. So thanks for being with us this morning. I look forward to seeing you in person as soon as possible. May God bless you. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, 
Please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.